Tales podcast. On this episode, we're joined by Esther from Doggy Retreat. And we're going to be talking about not just doggy daycares, but also dog socialisation in general, and how the pros and cons of a daycare centre can either help or hinder you with your dog. So Esther, welcome to the show. Hello everyone. Hi. Before we go in any deeper, let us know a little bit more about you. So who are you? Why do you do what you do? Okay, I'm actually a registered nurse by profession. And, um, but I went into pharmaceutical sales and that's when I had my first experience um, working with dogs. I used to volunteer for a dog welfare group. And that's when I started to really, really love dogs. And that's when I know that um, I want to work with them. At that time, dog welfare wasn't great. That was about 10 years ago. Um, and I know that a lot of boarding houses, a lot of kennels, um, the condition was really quite terrible. So when I had to put our, um, our dogs in for boarding, it was actually really sad. I see them up in, you know, locked up in cages. They only get attended to once a day. So I thought that you know we could do much better for these dogs, and that's when I started Doggy Retreat because I want to have, um, I want to bring up the standard of dog care in Singapore, and I'm really glad that you know I, I went ahead to do it. Yeah, it's a really good thing to talk about as well because for people that aren't in Singapore listening to this. Singapore does have a bit of a mixed track record when it comes to dog care. Sometimes you get these, there's some really fancy dog hotels here which cost an obscene amount of money and the care is, you know, fantastic. But then you get these backyard kind of daycare and boarding places where there's been some horrible situations where dogs have died or been very badly injured, abused, abused and things like that. So that's a really nice way to have looked at it, like you saw where the problems were and decided to do something about it. So tell us more about what you actually started, because I can't imagine that you just sort of said, oh, we're going to do this and then just jumped straight into it. <laughs> I actually pretty much did. I quit my job. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I, was, I was quite lucky. I got the golden handshake. So um, I was working with Pfizer then, so they were doing a retrenchment exercise. I volunteered for it. I got a sum of money, and that's how I started. It was meant to be a very small home-based daycare. I got a place with a nice garden, and that's why I said I'm going to do it you know, myself, have a couple of dogs. And you know, 10 years later, it, it's, it's grown into like a, a full-size business. How yeah. many dogs did you have yourself back then when you started as a home-based business? Okay, we... We just randomly have like one or two dogs at each time. And then um, pretty soon it just, it just grew. It grew to like, you know, 10 dogs a day. And then it went on. And now we have average of about 50 dogs a day. How many dogs did you have as your My pets? My pet. I have two when I started. Mm. And now I have three. In 10 years, you only added one. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been up to like 20 by now. <laughs> if I have a say, yes, that would be the case. <laughs> I do happen to know that that's not technically true, though, because you do have two more that you're fostering as well. Yes, I do. So there is that. <laughs> so that's the why. 
tell us about what you've got going on now, because we are sitting currently, <laughs> although it's closed right now, you've just started a bar and cafe which is 100% dog friendly and licensed, which is quite rare in Singapore at the very least. Yeah. Well, in Singapore, I think that um, it's pretty restricted in terms of where the human can bring their dogs to. And a lot of um, dogs actually, especially post-COVID, people like to bring their dogs with them because now they've developed um, separation anxiety. It's not possible to leave them at home for long periods of time. If they want to go out for a meal, they want to go out for a drink, this is where they can come to. So this is a solution for them. Um, this is also a working space. I know that lots of people work from home nowadays. Uh, but they also want their dog with them while they are working. So this is a great place for them to come to, to work, and yet have their dog beside them. So mm -hmm. I'm all about trying to see how we can uh, maximize that, you know, increasing the hours, the time the dogs can spend with their uh, parents. Anybody that knows me, this will not come as a surprise. But I take my dogs out on pretty long walks, and a lot of the time I will end up in a bar <laughs> at the end of the walk, letting the dogs chill out. And sometimes there can be issues because people don't know how to be around dogs or they let their dogs do things where your dogs would prefer they don't. So we'll talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. later on. But before we do, I'm just going to talk a little bit about socialisation. Right. This is a big topic which a lot of people struggle with. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you will agree, a lot of people send their dogs to daycare thinking that the daycare will do the socialisation for their dogs. Right. And that's not what daycare is. No, it's not. I mean, um, a fair... I mean, the big part of daycare is definitely socialisation, but we can't do all the socialisation mm. for the dogs. Like, you know, some dogs come in and the, the owner says that the dog doesn't play, you know, I hope that after daycare, the dog will learn how to play, but I say it doesn't work that way. Mm. It's like yeah. throwing your kid in a room with a piano and locking him in and then just coming back a week later and saying, can you play Mozart yet? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's also just a misunderstanding about what socialisation is because daycare provides... It provides socialisation. It provides a place to be social. To be properly socialised means to be optimistic and to be able to cope within the environment that you're living. Right. So... It doesn't actually just talk about socialising with other people or dogs or animals. Mm. It's about everything. And the old-fashioned understanding of socialisation was your dog is either friendly or they're not. And that was it. Nobody did anything about it. Then it sort of moved into this checklist. Have you ever seen those checklists? No? No. So when the puppies are in their socialisation phases mm. or their fear, fear response and... Their, uh, their like ranking and all the good stuff that they go through when they're quite young. What a lot of people did was they had these checklists, different types of people that you had to introduce your dog oh, to, yes, yes. different dogs, different situations. Yes, yes. Now, these, these lists are not completely useless, but mm. the old way of doing that was sort of like, oh, just expose them. Don't do anything. Just, just shove them in that, ro that room with the man with blonde dreadlocks wearing a high-vis vest. Mm -hmm. actually saw that on a list. <laughs> um, but 
what it actually is, it's about creating a positive association to all of these different stimulus. Yes. So you can do it without actually introducing your dog to so many different things if you're able to shape the dog's ability to deal with novelty mm. in general. So I think that's the big, biggest misunderstanding when it comes to socialisation is people think it's about your dog being able to be with around other dogs. But it's so much more than that. I do agree with that. Um, we do have instances where a lot of the dogs that they come to daycare, they are great with meeting new people. Um, they are great with meeting dogs on the street. They are great with meeting dogs indoor. But once they are with their human, they turn into a different dog altogether. Yes. So there's no... So when the humans see the dogs in daycare, right, they say that this is a different dog. How do you do it? You know, so um, I said, but this is, this is your dog. You know, this is a different setting. And that's when he comes in, he has this association. He knows how to behave. Um, he's okay with strangers. But I guess, you know, the socializing is um, lacking on, you know, the human's part. Mm. Yes. It's something we call um, possession attachment as well, possessive yeah. attachment. So sometimes your dogs can get like really defensive. They guard you as a resource mm. as well. But if the resource is not around to guard, yeah. they just have less stress, yeah. less anxiety, less fear. Which can be quite rough for the owners because they're trying their best to do what's best for their dog. It is. It's, it's quite sad for them, really. They, mm. they feel that, you know, like, yeah, they feel quite sad that they're not able to bring their dogs out. So the only place that they can leave them is at daycare because they know that they do great daycare, but once it's, they are with them, no. And that, and that happens beyond daycare as well. The number of dogs that we've worked with where if we took the dog out for a walk without the owner, the dog is good as gold. Yes. And then the moment the owner is there with them, the dog's reacting to every single dog they see. Yes. And that's a hard one because sometimes you've got to be a little bit straight down the line with that and just say, look, it's... It's your leadership, it's your nervousness, nervousness yeah, exactly, mm. which is creating that problem. But it happens a few different ways. So, for example, if you've got a handler or an owner who's quite aggressive with their dog, mm. their dog is going to be nervous around the owner, not because they're possessive of their owner, right. but because they're nervous about how the owner is going to react. Mm -hmm. um, and, for example, just yesterday I saw this. There was a guy with his dog, every time the dog looked at another dog, he yanked on the collar, right. yanked on the leash. Mm -hmm. Now, the guy, in his mind, is thinking that he's teaching the dog not to react to the other dogs, but he's actually doing the opposite. He's creating a negative association towards the dogs. Mm -hmm. So, you've got a dog that was not reacting to other dogs, who eventually will become dog reactive, because the owner's right. doing something which is counteracting the natural mm -hmm. ability to socialise. Yes. And also because there's, it's not just like training alone that helps with socialisation, there's, there's a lot of other factors to consider as well. There's your genetics, there's your learned behaviour, social behaviour. Is that dog getting their daily stimulation in terms of physical and mental stimulation activities and stuff like that, as well as your trust and bond with the owner? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, so um, in daycare, I think it's so important to make sure that um, we manage their um, physical and their mental well-being as well. So, you know, 
because being owners, the, the primary care of um, the, the, the daycare, the primary role is to make sure that the dogs are well taken care of, that we return the dogs back to the owner as balanced dogs. They are exhausted um, physically and also mentally, <laughs> right? So uh, we take them out for their a long walk um, as per their physical um, ability. So but it time um, they finish their walks they are pretty much tired out and then that's when they could actually socialize properly with the other doggies that's in daycare yes. the um, the caretakers are there to make sure that um, when they socialize they are playing normally um, and they also get the adequate rest that they need not overstimulated because you know um, I understand the problem that overstimulation can cause. It gets them... Um, too it, excited. Yes, it gets too excited. Fights excited. break out. So there's always a balance, a fine balance between um, trying to let them have fun and have the play, but yet not overstimulate them. Yeah. So the, the, there's a dog run further behind, right? Yes. If, if I right. recall correctly, because I, I brought one of our clients' dogs mm. there before. Do they walk there and then like bring them to the dog park or, or do you guys go to like East Coast Park, the beach and stuff like that? We actually walk around the neighborhood, different areas. Uh -huh. So it's part of the um, getting the dogs um, so they don't walk the same old route the same time. Okay. Every time they're going to the same places. So they get the, the correct stimulation as well. So we walk around the neighborhood, they get walks to um, different areas. Sometimes they walk to the beach. Um, sometimes they get to go to the dog park for a run. So it all just um, depends. It's pretty much free and easy depending on what the um, handlers um, choose and of course the dog that they are handling, what they think that the dog might enjoy. When we're talking about the mental stimulation, when your handlers are out on the walks, I'm assuming that they do make sure the dogs are getting enough time to sniff and explore rather than just power walking them around the block. Yes, that's right. So they do get to um, sniff around, uh, which is the point of going to different places, different routes. They get to see different sites, meet different people. Um, they also get to... Some dogs are nervous around cars and people. So, you know, we do want to expose them to different areas as well within the safe limits. How many dogs do you take out at one time? And what's kind of like the handler-to-dog mm. ratio? So our handler-to-dog ratio, for small dogs, we take one handler to about between three to four small dogs. For big dogs, well, between two to three big dogs. But that depends as well. If the dog is um, very pulley, very strong... Walks well on a leash or not. Yes, yeah. correct. It, all, the, all the factors would, would come into play. So if, sometimes it's just one handler to one dog. Mm. Yeah, and we right? yeah it is, and we will also always um, work out the the handler which handler is handling which dog the senior ones to the one that's a bit more difficult, and also pairing of the dogs is important the energy level how well they walk together, um, some could be scared dogs and then you could pair them with a very confident dog and yep. they actually walk really well, so you know we we do you know do things like that yeah. That leads me into talking about dog evaluation. So if somebody's wanting to join, yes. what's your evaluation process to decide whether you accept the dog or not? Because I'm sure, like us, you don't just accept everybody. Although I know for us, it's more about if we turn a dog down, it's not the dog, it's generally the owner. <laughs> yes. um, but what's, what sort of process do you have to evaluate dogs before you accept them into the daycare? 
Well, of course, the first thing I do is um, asking the, the owner about you know, the general dog behavior and what is the purpose of sending the dog to daycare. Why are they looking for just general socialization? It's because nobody is home to take care of the dog. The dog has got issues that needs to be sorted. So for me, it's important to understand why they are sending the dog to daycare. We are a play school, not a not an enrichment school, not a, a training school. So if a dog has actually behavioral issues, then I would just say that you know it's best they go to a training school or enrichment school where there is you know uh, qualified trainers to work with their dogs. Like ourselves. Yes, exactly. Correct. <laughs> right. So when and when you know if they say it's just for socialization, they come in. Uh, we will introduce some cover dogs to them so some dogs they come in and we introduce on a one-to-one -one basis off leash to see how the dog reacts to the other and then slowly we will introduce uh, if a dog is very hyper for example very playful then we introduce uh, somebody of similar energy that comes in and then see how the dog reacts so that's how we base our assessment on how well they they react to um, the doggies in-house um, to the environment and as more doggies come in do they you know are they okay yeah so for us when we're doing the initial assessment we've got something we call a bark evaluation that's a behavioral assessment and reactivity check now I assume you wouldn't go into that much depth of it but do you have something similar that you look out for so right now I'm doing all the assessment on my you know by myself based on experience that's your look, staff help uh, no, so it's fine. always just me. Okay, so it's okay. always just me. I don't rely on the staff to do the test because I don't have a checklist. So it's based on experience, reading the yeah. dog's body language. Do I think that they are reactive? And do, um, you know, would they do well in the daycare environment? So the, the team is not able to do that because they don't have a checklist to fall back on. So what I have is experience and the team might not be able to do so. Yeah. yeah. So that's something that you are going to be yes. working on and developing. Definitely, okay. definitely. And, and it's always like, I can understand why you wouldn't let um, leave it up to your staff to do it because if something happens, oh, that's that's shit hits the fan. Yes, definitely. Uh, it's better to be safe than sorry, right? For sure, for sure. So what what kind of training do you do for your staff at the moment, and what kind of training? Now that you're growing, because you are growing quite quick, yes, I'd imagine that's going to have to develop as well. That's right. So what have you done in the past versus now versus what you want to do in the mm -hmm. future? Yes. So we have always been a play school, right? So we are not teaching the dogs, um, you know, behavioral um, commands and stuff like that. We just mainly, the, the team has to be well enough to, like, you know, they have to recognize... Uh, behavioural cues when the dogs are playing um, so that is really important for me previously we have engaged um, a trainer as well so we are about positive reinforcement so uh, we have trainer that come in and to train the team and make sure that um, they are well equipped with knowledge and for me myself I do um, feed the team with um, articles, get them to read about social cues, about behavioural things that, you know, that they have to understand. So it would be really beneficial to get them all to listen to the podcast. I think so. <laughs> so that's just a shameless I think plug so. right <laughs> <laughs> I think so. 
So yeah, so this is one great avenue, and of course, I am also. Uh, I mean, I've been working with you guys, talking to you about how I, I think it was probably around COVID time. Yeah, we yeah. spoke just before COVID, COVID, and then COVID hit, hit, and everything had to get put on hold. <laughs> yes, so. correct. So that was that's been on my mind for the longest time to actually um, get going. Get going. Yeah, get a, develop proper a, yes, procedures. A, yes, exactly. A training procedure oh. for the team. So that you know, um, they are well informed and they are knowledgeable in what they are doing. You've already got good internal training. You've outsourced in the past, right? And obviously, you're looking to develop more in the future, which of course we'll take that offline. But you know, we're more than happy to help, and we'll design that for you and yes, conduct I it trust for you. that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, there's a couple of other questions that I think are quite important that people are going to be wondering. Mm. And that's things like, when you have all the dogs here, do you separate the big dogs from small dogs? Do you have toys lying around? Is there, like, free-range mm. treats, water, things like that? The feeding schedule. Yeah. Right. Things to try and reduce or increase, depending on how, we, how you're doing it, yes. the possession or reactivity. Right. Um, well, so we do mix the small dogs and the big dogs because I feel that, you know, they should be able to get long, along well. The, the small dogs shouldn't be fearful of the big dogs. Neither sh- the big dogs should learn to be gentle with the small dogs and that's our aim of not um, separating them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, part of the day, they are separated by their energy level more than their size. So it's more about behavioural separation yes. rather than just based on their size? Yes, not exactly. Physical. Not not exactly physical. So we have the ones that, like, you know, in the afternoon, the, the calmer ones that just wants to go and rest and sleep. And then you've got the small little ones that wants to run around and play. So it's just giving them each their space. So we group the ones with higher energy level together so that, you know, they could have all the fun that they want without um, intruding on the space of the ones that actually wants to become and no, peaceful. I, I think that's really good. I like that. And, you know, I always say that sometimes the bigger people can be the more gentle and kind ones, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the case. So, what about toys? What about water mm. and food? Alright. Okay. So, for toys, we do have toys because we play toys with them. We throw balls and then um, we get them to fetch so that's part of our the, the daily activities that we do with the doggies. But there are some doggies who are toy possessive. So when that happens, then we would usually keep all the toys. So then, sorry, but the other dogs won't get to enjoy the toy in this case when that doggie is around. Mm-hmm. Um, even human possession, like, you know, dogs, if they are getting cuddles from the human, s- yes, some get upset. So... The staff don't sit on the floor. They don't sit around. Yep. If they're giving attention, they, they do it usually standing. standing. Yeah, so that, um, that minimizes the risk of a fight breaking out, somebody getting displeased with the other. I guess it's also a safety factor for the staff as well. Yes, yeah. it is, it is. And for food, we do feed the uh, doggies food, but it's always done separately. So they get fed uh, individually in an enclosed area where the other dogs cannot see them. 
So this is how we do our feeding. Water, we have communal water bowls. So, mm. so far we haven't had an issue. Um, certain doggies, perhaps just one or two in, in my line of work, that dogs do get uh, upset when they are drinking water and a dog comes along and wants to drink the water at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so in this instance, we actually will be... Um, the team is actually there. They know the dogs well. So when the stock is drinking, we make sure we stand by and like make sure that the other dogs don't come around to the water bowl. Okay. Yeah. Which is fair enough, right? Like if, if you were taking like a big chug of water out of a big gulp, I take a straw and as I just put it in while you're drinking, <laughs> you wouldn't feel very comfortable, would you? So dogs learn as well. Some dogs never do know that they can't actually drink out of the water bowl when another, wa- another dog is drinking or is eating. So when they get warned by the other dog, they learn and they never do it again. Yeah, yeah and that's the ideal yes. situation, of course. Yes, but of course, it, it can go the other way. Yeah. But so yeah. so it, it brings me to my next question, actually. It's about um, discipline and control, right? Mm. So how do your staff like assess whether they should let the dog try to, to, mm. to show that they're uncomfortable or do your staff step in? When do your staff actually step in? So the staff will step in when, um, when well, they will actually take the cue from the doggy. So if a dog is constantly, even let's say play, but a dog is constantly being on top of the other dog, the other dog, you know, being the underdog, he might not Literally. show it. Yes, the <laughs> underdog. <laughs> so, you know, that's when the staff steps in, separate them and then let them restart the play on a more level ground because play is always, you know, it's, it's never balanced. Yeah. So we always try and let them have a more, uh, yes. both have the same balanced footing per se. Right. Yeah. So how do they, wait, so, sorry, um, how, how do they stop and then restart it? Like, what do they actually do? So they, they have to they, physically get yes, involved, they, right? Yes, they physically, they step in the middle. Okay. Yeah, usually okay. they step in the middle mm-hmm. and then so they break them up and then calm them down. Okay, you can restart again and okay. whether they choose to or not. And we don't allow multiple dogs to go after one dog. Yes, ganging up basically. Yes, correct. That's, that's quite common in daycare. If you don't know, you think it's play but it's actually not play so we don't allow that. So if it's two dog to one, we also watch that very closely. Um, uh, so usually we just we try and encourage one to one play. Yeah. I mean that's actually bullying, and that's what they call it. Yes, it, it's bullying behavior. Mm. It's a horrible factor of natural behavior, but bullying is incredibly natural for all animals. Right. Um, and as much as you know, I was bullied as a kid. I, it's a horrible thing, but uh. you know, it, it is natural behavior, um, and that's something that I'm glad that you mentioned because. I do see a lot of video clips from daycares sent to me by clients. Right. And then the, the daycare has said that this dog is reactive, but actually the dog was being bullied and tried to protect itself. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time it's not even the dog's fault. So the fact that you're aware of that, you're keeping an eye on that, your staff have all been trained to keep an eye on that, yes. it, it reduces one of the biggest cons in my mind about daycares. Yes. which is an increasement of reactivity in some dogs right. because of the overwhelm of daycare. Correct. I, I think so. I mean, some daycare are not equipped to recognise the bullying behaviour. Uh, they think the dog is running and so it's playing. Mm. They are trying to play catching. Or, um, 
these are like kennels that try to brand themselves as daycares, aren't they? Like, because well, we've got to be careful when we say that, though, because who is to say that one facility is a kennel mm. versus a daycare? That's true, I guess. And, and mm. this, this is one of the biggest problems with, um, well, basically with our whole industry being fairly unregulated. And this is why yes. organisations like the IAABC is so important and like the, the different governing bodies globally that try to give more certification for daycares and vets and trainers and And orderlies. And that, that is very, very important. Uh, one thing that I'm very happy about with the AVS in Singapore, they're actually mm-hmm. starting to recognise yes. the international standards and say, this is what we want for mm-hmm. our country, yeah. which right. is super important, because anybody can say that they're a qualified daycare. Anybody right. can say they're a, they're a qualified trainer, because all you need is a bit of paper that says, I went, done this. Yes. And you can then right. say it. And so it's like a three-day crash course. <laughs> I, mean, I, yes. I had one person apply for a job with me who said they were qualified, and it turns out that they'd done a two-day online training oh. course. <laughs> and when I asked them what kind of uh, methodology they used, they actually read verbatim what I had written on my website. Oh, my. And I was like, you think they couldn't recognise my own writing? Right. Like, so... It's quite dodgy when it comes to stuff like that, and that's not to say that online courses aren't great. I mean, my my first dog training qualification was in person, but my mm. second one was online. BSA. Um, yeah, and then uh, the ne- the one after that, I had to go back to the UK to do the completion and the assessments mm. and things like that. But the ones that are online are actually not bad. You know, they're not terrible. It's just how involved you want to get because you can do most of a university degree online. Mm. So I'm not saying that online's bad and in-person's good, because that's not fair, because the first ever training cert I did was in-person, but it was super old-school and super out-of-date, you know. So we do have to be careful when I'm saying things like that as well. But again, we can't turn around, and we're not the ones that should be able to judge whether somewhere is a kennel versus a daycare versus a boarding. all right. With that said, we can help educate people into asking the correct questions. Yes. So, like, in our last episode, Jay and I talked about mm. methodologies right. in training. So, in that, a large portion of that was talking about what questions should be asking. we should be, clients mm. should be asking their potential, yes. you know, trainers. So, you could do the same thing for daycare. Like, is there anything... We've already yes. spoken a lot about stuff, but is there any questions that you think people should be asking to make sure mm. that if they are getting the correct people? Yeah, like your client asks you this question for the first time you've heard it, and like, oh, that's a damn good question. I wish all my clients asked that. From, I think questions are not being asked, and I 100% agree with that. I wish people asked more questions. Um, I have a wait list, and so usually when I tell... Um, the clients to go look for another daycare I will also ask them you know to ask more about the daycare find out more before you commit so I would usually say that number one you have to physically go and visit the place yourself (laughs) please do not trust online reviews do not trust your friends Um, go and see for yourself Uh, meet the team there 
meet the dogs that's actually there how happy they are do they look stressed um, are they actually happy there um, see how your dog is reacting your dog you can take some cues from your dog as well you know whether you know they like the place or not ask about us about the dogs uh, ask about the experience of you know the the handlers the dog to um, handler ratio and of course you ask about what is their routine and things like that yeah and about you know uh, what happens when there is an emergency or a dog fight what is their procedure. do they have any procedures for that is there um, yeah I think you brought up a very good point about taking cues from your dog as well mm-hmm. like um, before we moved into to where we currently stay right mm-hmm. I actually asked the, the agent and the previous owners who were living there can I bring my dog down to, to vet the place and just look around? Yes. They, they were fine with it. They had two smaller dogs. So I brought Blue down and then I just wanted to see whether she was comfortable in the house. If right. she was, we were going to buy the place. Right. And then she just walked in like it was her house. Yeah. And so we, we basically bought the place because my dog was comfortable with yes. it and she liked it. Yeah. So oh. taking cues from your dog really matters. Yeah, I 100% believe in that. Did you mention something very interesting there about procedures during emergencies and fights and things like that? Yes. I think that's a really big question that's not asked as often as it should. So we'll, we'll touch on fights in a little bit, but with daycares, kennels, boarding, things like that, I mean, I am, I mean, I'm ex-oil and gas. I worked on the rigs for many years, so when I speak about emergencies, I'm quite paranoid because, mm. well, I've unfortunately had a couple of situations where I've been involved where there has been real emergencies. So I'm super paranoid about that in my home. Mm. So, like, what would we do if there was a fire? What would we do if there was, like, a, a real emergency where I had to evacuate right. everybody? So when you've got a daycare, a boarding facility, kennels, like, do you guys have that procedure in place? What do you do if the proverbial shit hits the fan? Yes, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, when, I mean, we are at a new place now, so that's constantly on my thought. Like, you know, we make sure that um, we have a fire escape plans ready we make sure that everything is fireproof so we know where to go what is the fire escape uh, plan uh, is and then with doggies here there could be emergencies like um, there could be dog fights um, you know or dogs could have um, medical issues yeah. seizures things like that yeah it does happen um overheating or whatnot so um it's it's really important to know and recognize signs and then know where to bring the dog to what what is your procedure so without naming any names obviously right have you had any situations in the past where you could share that there was an emergency and how you dealt with it and what the end result was well yes of course so we had an emergency, you know, where um, a dog was injured. So we actually worked really closely with um, a few vets that's in the area. Um, we have a close working relationship. So they know if I ever needed their help, they are there. They are there. Mm-hmm. So I'm always assured and I can, I, I can confidently tell, you know, um, the, the owners that send the doggies to me that if there's any emergency or any medical need at all, I will be able to get an appointment because sometimes bad appointments are really hard to get. So you really need to know where to go or if it's in the middle of the night, 
where is your emergency vet? That's really important too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we even had an experience with my mother-in-law's cat, which was horrible, you know what I'm talking about now. A needle, right? The cat swallowed a needle. And between my wife and I, we phoned up four or five different vets, and none of them would see us. And I ended up having to pull, like, a professional connection and call right. up and say, hey, this is Fraser from Noble Canine. I've got a cat that this, this has happened to. Can you see me? And they were right. like, yes. But... I couldn't go through the normal channels. I couldn't go through exactly. like the receptions or anything mm. like that. Because it's almost as if they're so busy that they, they almost don't care. So these right. working relationships are so important. So important. So important. Yeah. I agree. For anybody that's wondering, the cat's absolutely fine now. Um, <laughs> and great. now we know that needles should not be lying around the house with the cat. <laughs> not my house, by the way, just say. Okay. <laughs> So just to, to touch more on uh, things like dog fights and stuff like that, I think uh, you've had you've seen your share of dog fights, right? Having yes. the boarding and, mm. and now the daycare and stuff like that. Uh, a very big misconception the public has is that like, oh, just because uh, a dog fight happened here, that means this is a bad place. It's the same when, when mm. I, I tell some people like, oh, you know what, my girls fought and stuff mm. like that. I had to bring them to the vet. They, they also think like, oh, that means you're not a very good trainer because your dogs fight. Mm. And it's, it's a huge misconception. It's, it's like, a lot some people they like to be really choosy and then maybe they pick their clients they want the easy right. ones and stuff like that so that they have less stress as well if that's your business model I mean that, that's great for you and all right. but I always feel like it's how they handle what happens after the fight yes how they improve how they move forward how they ensure it never happens again I agree um, so when a client come in I will always 100% tell them that Coming to a daycare is, is never like, you know, um, what you imagine it to be. Like, you, they will just be having fun here and playing the whole day through. It's not like that. Fights can, complications. Yes, yeah. yes. Fights can sometimes happen. But I think at a daycare setting where it's the place are regulated, is better than going to a um, dog cafe. Or dog run. Going to a dog run where you have no idea who you're going to meet. Yeah. So in daycare, at least it's regulated. It's a much safer option when if you really are looking at, you know, having your dog um, socialise with others. But you, you can never promise, right? No, so, never, yeah, ever, never, never ever. So I always say that, you know, you can, your, your dog could be perfectly great, you know, but you could be collateral damage. Two dogs are fighting and you happen to be next to the dog. And your dog just dog. like too happy and just walk past yes. and just yeah. Exactly, the other two dogs are fine, but you know your dog, you know, can get nipped. So, um, so it's it's not always um, uh, all rosy at daycare. So, it's it's important to find a daycare that's transparent enough to to tell you the what is not so good, what is good, you know, and yes, but correct. also of course, I guess you guys focus on on management as well. Yes, hundred percent. So I always say that you know. The, the team is there to recognize uh, social behaviors and cues. The doggies, we know that well enough because they come at least once a week. So we know their behavior. That's, that's a criteria. Doggies have to come at least once a week. So nothing of that ad hoc thing. So we know them. You have a dog that's like always muzzled. We don't muzzle dogs. Okay, okay. So if a dog actually needs to be muzzled, I would usually suggest that they find um, training a training, yes, yeah, yeah. where they can go for Fair training. Enough. 
I find that if you're muzzled and we actually have a lot of doggies, we have like 40 over to 50 doggies and you're muzzled, you probably lose the, the ability to try and defend yourself. Mm-hmm. I think you, you put that dog Stop in a fair. lot of stress. Yeah. Um, you could get them to react more once their muzzle is off. I just feel that that's not fair to put yeah. them in an environment. Especially uh, like if that. they haven't been properly trained to Correct. don the harness. Uh, don yes, the muzzle. The, the muzzle. Haven't yes. been shaped. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like, sometimes I like to put the muzzle on my girls when I bring them for a walk just for fun because it, it keeps people away. <laughs> well, yes. They love to wear okay. the muzzle. I take it out and then they, they are so happy they just run straight into the muzzle. <laughs> it's, it's a very important factor that I, I personally feel that all dogs should be muzzle trained because mm. I, I swear, Aramis, that I used at the vet uh, when, I, when we did the presentation at the vet. Yes. And um, when I used Aramis, the reason I used him was because. He hasn't worn a muzzle in a long time because, right. well, it's Aramis and he's literally ridiculously mm. calm. Mm. So I wanted to be able to show how to do the shaping. But even a dog like Aramis, who is very, very calm, if he had a broken leg mm. and the vet had to reset mm. the leg, asking him not mm. to react, because you can't explain to him, no. hey, mate, the vet's doing this for your own good. That dogs mm. don't understand that. Yeah. So if somebody puts hands on the dog on a broken limb and they're having to do a reset, mm. of course the dog's going to nip. Of course they're going to bite. Right. You know, so muzzle training is super important, I feel. Um, and I'm sure most people would agree with that. Yeah. But if a, I do agree with you. If, if the dog is needing to be muzzled to be around other dogs mm. it's unfair for the dog that's needing to be muzzled yes. and it's putting that dog and other dogs at risk as well because contrary to what a lot of people think a dog can still nip when it's wearing a muzzle Yeah. yes I agree I have, yes. I have been caught by yep. a dog who has been muzzled <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very important factor to have yeah. that. I think it's important, like, you know, I agree with you, to distinguish that not muzzling is not a bad thing. I think we need mm. to recognise that. So yeah. it's good to have that muzzle training. But it's just the social, the, the, the social situation that you're going to put the dog in, then that's not fair if you're going to put him exactly. on a muzzle and everybody else is not on a muzzle, then that's not fair. I mean, it would be slightly different on some... So in some cases, we've had to do... Um, especially, ironically, mostly labs. Um, if they're just vacuum cleaners, and you're walking, them, <laughs> yes, they just eat yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yes. So there's been situations where I've said to the owners, "Okay, get, yeah. get the muzzle on the dog first until we are able to teach them not to do that, right. because you know they're going to hurt themselves if they're yes. vacuuming up cigarette yeah. butts and yeah. you know, not? Yes. dirty chocolate wrappers and God knows what." So. You know, muzzles are not always an indication of aggression or yeah, reactivity. No, that, it has a very negative connotation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although you do get some really entertaining muzzles. Like I saw one the other day, which was like a werewolf muzzle <laughs> with a pacifier in its mouth. <laughs> and I was like, it's the most bizarre muzzle. But, you know, they're, they're there for a reason and they should be used appropriately. Mm, I yes. feel like muzzle shaping, muzzle training should be seen as like the same way people see crate training. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad it's thing. something that should always be done. Doesn't necessarily mean that your dog needs to sleep in the crate or be yeah. in the crate mm-hmm. all the time or be muzzled yeah. all the time. It's good to prepare. But yes, exactly. Because mm. you never know. You never yeah. know when you it's going to have to migrate and bring your dog yes. along so at least you have crate training done. So that brings us to talk of, about the cons here. So I'm mm. not throwing anybody under the bus, but obviously right. there's pros and cons to everything. Yeah. yeah. So, most of the most common cons for daycares and boarding things like that are overwhelm and overstimulation, which mm-hmm. can 
potentially create reactivity mm. where there was none in the past. Um, personal care and supervision, which you've already addressed with your human-to-dog ratio, but even then, if you even if you've got like two or three dogs to one person, as much as that's a great ratio, it's still not one-on-one, -on -one and some dogs do need that. So it's important mm. for people to understand that. Risk of illness. Now mm. we've not really touched on that. Yeah. Um, how often do you ask or feedback to clients mm. about the dog's health? Because obviously, if a dog turns up and they've got kennel cough, yes, that could be a nightmare. It is. We've ever closed down our daycare twice in, you know, just because of kennel cough, it spreads really fast. So mm. once I detect there was kennel cough, we told them to not to stop coming, but it still spread, you know. So it, so we had to shut down the entire daycare for about two weeks wow. before we restart again. So mm. you're really quite transparent about that to everybody? Yes, yeah. always. So one of the things that I would tell... Um, clients when they bring their dogs the one thing I tell them is the possibility that the dog can catch something from the other dogs mm -hmm. that's something that I have to present to them um, and also if I do find that there is a pattern of things you know there could be um, a stomach virus that's going around I will also inform and say that I mean, perhaps this is a good uh, you know we have this going around now perhaps you want to keep your dog at home if it's possible that I'm transparent about yeah you know, to be honest, that's actually more transparent than my daughter's daycare. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't say that, but, you know, it's true. Um, okay, so there's also learning bad behaviours, because mm. learning good behaviours, that's one of the big pros. Yes. But like kids, like I was just yeah. saying with daycare, with my daughter's daycare, if there's a group of children in there that are behaving badly, mm. that's potential that my daughter could pick that up, and dogs are the exact same. Yeah. So... Your staff have obviously been trained to look for behaviours. Yes. But what do you do if you notice that there's a particular dog which is inciting that negative behaviour? What's your sort of protocol? Well, for us, if... Um, naturally, the, the staff would stop, like, you know, whatever is the unwanted behaviour that the mm. dog is displaying. Usually, we will calm the dog down, put on a timeout, and then they can, you know, uh, restart after they have come down. So we do this multiple times with a dog. And of course, if this is consistently an issue, we will address it with um, the, the, the owners and tell them that you know it's good if they could um, get training for the dog before the dog comes back to daycare. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, that's, that's fair enough. So this leads me to probably a more difficult question because obviously it's not fun to tell people Sorry, your dog's not right for daycare. <laughs> um, but obviously, not every dog is suitable to be in daycare. Not every, no. not every daycare is suitable for certain dogs. Mm. You know, there's multiple different types of daycare, as you said earlier on. You've got daycares that specialise in training. You've got daycares yes. that specialise in enrichment. Right. Daycares that are playgroup sort of right. style. Daycares that are more kennel-based and isolate the dogs. And, you know, it's not really our place to be telling people which is mm -hmm. the best type, especially when there's so many different mm -hmm. personalities of dogs and requirements yes. for these dogs. But what do you look for to ensure that the dog is a good fit for you guys? Not so much in your like initiation process, mm -hmm. but more on if you had to say to somebody, your dog's not a good fit, mm -hmm. what would you really be looking for 
how do you break up with a client? <laughs> yes, basically. Yes. Yeah. All right. I mean, more often than not, if I have to break up with a client, it's usually because of um, when a dog bites another dog, for example. Mm. That would be the most common reason why I would have to part way with a dog. Um, then that's when I say that this is, this is out of um, my expertise. I need somebody professional. I need somebody who is able to um, help this dog and um, the, the owner, you know, because I, I recognize that, you know, where my, uh, my knowledge is, I can't, I'm not, yeah, my limitations basically. I, mm. I'm, not, um, I'm not a trainer. So when it comes to dog who has who is reactive, who has bitten another dog, then that's when I would say that you know um, I think it's good that you find somebody professional that can help with this issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's something we mentioned this before in the podcast, but it's something that I feel is very very important. Mm. If you have a sore tooth, you don't go to your GP. Right. You go to the dentist. Yes. Yes. If you have a psychological issue. You don't go to, you know, oh, your chiropractor. Right, you know? yes. So I always feel that if you've got somebody that's got a dog who's got a potential medical issue, they've got mm. to make sure they go to the vet or the correct specialist. Right. If the dog's got a basic obedience issue, then yeah, you can go to a basic trainer. Right. Or if it's a deeper behavioural yes. issue, they've got to go to a behavioural specialist. Or, right. You know, if it's a dog that's got, like, a real psychology issue, mm. then they've got to go to a veterinary behaviourist. Mm. There's all these different professionals, which is just so important that people understand. Like, that's that's right, there. yes. So if they come to me with training, you know, questions or behavioural questions, I usually would try and direct them to the correct... I don't just cut them off straight away, of course. I know that, look, your dog has just bitten someone. No, out you go. So what you're saying is when you break <laughs> up with somebody, you try and set them up with somebody else before uh, you Yes, leave. I do. <laughs> it's, it's very open-minded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's only fair that I do that for the dog as well. I don't want to reject a dog just because... Just it's troublesome or they cause trouble. At, at the end of the day, we want to be able to help the dog and make sure that they just become more balanced. And yeah, not, I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's no secret that the only people that I enjoy working with are people that work with the dogs because they care about the dogs. Yes. It's not about mm. making money. It's not about... Mm. And like Some people do this industry thinking it's an easy life. I think that's mental. But, uh, I you think know, that, it's, it's uh, not... Like, like you said, you know, we, it's probably a lot easier if I could just um, take in dogs that's really easy. Dogs that just plays the whole day, no behavioural issues. But that's not the point of a daycare. Yeah. Our point is that we actually do want to um, have the dogs become more confident about themselves, um, able to be in a social setting with the other dogs, you know, uh, be able to behave properly. So if I was going to just um, take it easy and just say, nope, there is just the slightest bit of um, trouble or things like that, I mean, that's not the way how it should work, yeah. That would be like Frazier or myself just picking our clients as well, like just going, no, mm. I, I don't want to work with aggressive dogs. Right. No, I want to have a clean record and all <laughs> these kind of things, but... 
if anything, I think Fraser and myself, we, we're a bit sick in the head. We actively look out, look for the aggressive <laughs> dogs to work with. And <laughs> in, in, in our defense, it's because we've got experience doing yeah, that, that's and that's true, why that's we true. do it. But uh, it's also important to understand that when you're dealing with more difficult situations, mm. there is that element where there could be failure because failure doesn't come just from you. Mm. It comes from the environment around you. What's happening? You know, yes. is there the lifestyle of the owner yes. going to be very difficult as well? You know, I've had clients who have had fantastic results for the first couple of months, and then I don't hear from them. And it doesn't mm. matter. You follow up with them, you send emails, stuff like that. Nothing. And then you hear from them in a year's time. They're like, "Oh, this has happened." So, well. Because you've not been consistent, it's because your lifestyle has snowballed the problem and things like that. And right. sometimes it can't be helped, and I'm sure that's the same with your clients as well. There might be problems that come around. Yes, that it does. Um, I mean, the dogs react to how the the owners. Um, home situations become, you know. Uh, I do notice that dogs get stressed by certain things that's happening at home. So if I'm privy to know what's happening, I can understand the dog behaviour in daycare because they act out in daycare. So it's, it's really interesting. And then in terms of environment, like for me, I choose, I would like to work with dogs that has got more issues and more, you know, that was what I was able to do when I had a lot of, you know, lesser dogs. But now as the business grew, I'm, I have my limitations as well. Yeah. With that said, I just want to point out to people that if your dog's not suitable for daycare, there is alternatives if your lifestyle mm. is too busy and you can't be with your dog as much as you would like. You can have basic things like dog walkers that mm. come to your house and take your dog out like once in the afternoon, things like yes. that. Or you've got dog sitters. Mm. I know there's uh, some people, in fact, we've done it before when we had a puppy. We actually had one of our uh, nephews come and stay at our house during the day mm -hmm. to take care of the puppy while we were out. You right. know, these are simple things that you can do to help your dog get through behavioural issues or development stages in their life and things like that. And, and even home enrichment. Some mm -hmm. dogs are quite happy being alone at home, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. So you can just have your dog be enriched by being at home with puzzle toys and things like that. It's all about the individual dog and your individual situation as well, I would think. Mm -hmm. That leads us very nicely on to some of the listener questions. Mm -hmm. So this first one is not so much a listener question. It was actually a video that was posted on one of the Facebook groups that I'm a member of. Some people may have seen this video. It's a video of a grey mongrel and a golden retriever getting into a fight in a dog park. Mm. And there's a Siberian husky grabbing hold of the retriever's leash, trying to, trying to pull the dog away from the fight. Now, I understand why people share this video. They're trying to say, oh, look how entertaining it is. The dog's trying to stop them in the fight. Mm. Unfortunately, when you actually understand what's happening in the video, a lot of these cute videos get destroyed Mm. by that knowledge um, and as you can imagine on Facebook you had all these keyboard uh, warriors and you know these different people that are like accountants and lawyers and things like that and they're all telling you about all of their experience with canine behaviour and telling you this is how it is and you read them and you're just kind of like this is dangerous yeah. because you've got 
somebody talking about letting the dogs fight it out because mm. that's the most natural thing for them. Mm. And that's just not right. Yeah. Because, quite frankly, dogs are not wild animals. No. Dog, they're, they're domesticated mm. dogs. There's the, the, the evolution of dogs, we've been through this at length in the podcast, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole again, but they are directly linked to human beings. So that really upset me when you hear people talking about letting the dogs fight it out or, you know, getting involved in the dog fight. I had some, I said, read in one of the comments, somebody was saying about how they were, should have got involved and like started a fight with the dog. What? And I was thinking, <laughs> that's just a bad idea. I mean, uh, what are you going to do? Get on all fours and, and you know, start giving a shot? I mean, that's terrible, terrible ideas. So the, the gentleman that posted the video, mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to him because he posted the video because, do you know what? It's, it's an interesting video. Mm-hmm. It's informative. And he, he saw that I commented and he asked quite, quite politely, what would you suggest somebody does in this situation? Mm-hmm. So this uh, Mr. Chan posted it, Singapore, he seemed really genuine, really interested to learn. So I, I did ask if I could cite this on the podcast. So effectively, the same with any fights, and we've spoken about this a little bit during our conversation mm-hmm. in the daycare, but it's important to understand where you're taking your dog. So when you're in a daycare, mm. you understand that your dog is mixing with other dogs. The beauty of a daycare is that these dogs have been vetted. Mm. You know that these dogs are not hooligans. Now, when you're in a dog park, that's a slightly different situation. It's not a dark alley. Yeah, I mean, yes. some of these dog parks I've seen, it's like Doggy Fight Club. You just mm-hmm. you know, don't talk about Doggy Fight Club. Yeah. But... um. In this particular situation, I'm not going to comment on where the video was recorded or anything like that because that leads to different mm-hmm. issues. But effectively, the person recording the video was just watching this happen, right? right. The video had started recording way before the fight had started, mm. which means they knew they knew or they should have known yeah. that something was going to happen. Mm. So, for a start, if you turn up to a dog run. And you look in there, and there's dogs showing overstimulated behaviour, reactive mm. behaviour, or even something that we call over-socialisation, mm. which is basically just like the... It'd be kind of like me seeing you and your husband out for a drink, and big drunk Fraser comes up and grabs you both, picks you up and hugs you and swings you around. Mm. I know you guys like me, but I don't know if you quite like me that much. Right. You know, that's uh-huh. not appropriate social mm. behaviour. And a lot of dogs do that as well. Yeah. Um, and I would never do that, by the way, <laughs> just for clarity. Um, so you've got to read the room, as it were. If you're going to go into a dog run or if you're going to mm. go into a park area, if the dogs don't seem like they are playing appropriately, do mm. not even enter. In the same way that when you turn up to a playground with your kid, if there's kids spray painting the side of the slide mm. yeah you're probably not going to go and play <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, you're going to read the room yeah. so that'd be the first thing to do the next part is to preempt the situation if you see that there's mm. a potential disagreement going to be happening in that particular video it's super obvious you can see the posturing mm. you can see that the dogs are unhappy with each other 
in that situation, it would have been super easy for the person taking the video to just walk between the dogs, mm. pick up the dog's leash and wander off of that dog. The fight hadn't got to the point where that dog that was off leash mm. was going to pursue. It was right. not at that stage yet. Yeah. So that would have been the first step. The next stage is when it gets beyond that step. And this is when training and preparation comes in very, very handy. Now, mm. for those that have not listened to the first episode of this podcast, we go very, very deep into my boy, Athos, who was very dog reactive at one stage in his life. He's a big lad. So that was something that we really needed to sort out. Mm. He is the reason that I do this for a living. Um, and one of the biggest things that we did was during his rehabilitation process was appropriate socialisation, the ability to be around other dogs without interacting with other dogs. Mm. That's proper socialisation. Training him to understand that he should be focusing on us, not the other dogs around them. So that's when you should, that, when a dog is properly socialised and trained, even when there's other dogs around, they should still be able to focus on mm. the handler. Stacking response. So this is very, very important. This is a stacked set of commands or cues that you will drill over and over and over to pull your dog out of a situation like that. If you know that your dog has the potential to get into these situations, mm. this is the sort of thing you would do. But most of all, reading your dog. It's just such an important factor. If you're not communicating with your dog properly, mm. that's something that needs to be worked on. And that's just reading calming signals, as you were saying earlier, and mm. reading reading the room, you know, making sure that you're able to understand how they're feeling. Are they feeling stressed? Is it time to baby bail out before mm. anything like that goes wrong? And that's really the best way of dealing with any dog fight. But inevitably, things will go wrong, and there will be a situation where you've got to talk about an actual dog fight, and this is where it gets really quite hairy. Mm. because there's a lot of stuff out there. Furry. Could be furry, yeah. So <laughs> you'll hear me talking a lot about being calm, confident, mm. consistent and clear. This goes for any leadership, not just with dogs, but especially when you're breaking up a dog fight, you cannot lose your head. Mm. You cannot be overexcited. If you start shouting and screaming, panicking, panicking mm. the dogs are going to feed off of that energy. And the fight's going to get worse. And it's going to get way worse. Then you've got things like noise breakers that we spoke about with the mm -hmm. newspaper. Yes. Those things can be effective, but it also depends on the severity of the fight. Mm. Yeah. You know, I've seen people trying to spray water at the dogs and having zero effect. Mm. You know, and again... Or making it worse. Or actually. making it worse because you're yeah. increasing the stress. Then you've got probably one of the most well-known... But least practised, I would say. Least practised, yes. Um, but it's also got pros and cons, is the wheelbarrow. Mm. And this is when you hear people talking about picking the dogs up by the back legs yeah. Yeah. and walking them back. Yeah. I am not going to say that this doesn't work because it, it has a very high success rate. Yeah. The problem is you don't know if it's going to work or if it's going to make things a lot worse because when you're doing that, two things are happening. You're pulling the dogs directly away from each other. Look at any predator's mouths. Their teeth are pointing backwards. Mm. If they have locked on to the other dog and you do that, yeah. you're going to create a lot of damage. And, and I've actually seen uh, an instance where uh, I was in the States and then uh, this dog fight happened and then 
the owners just tried to they start shouting like wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow because everybody knows yeah. what it is, right? But when they picked up the dog's um, back legs, immediately their dog started ragdolling. Yeah, yeah. So and it's that, 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 that didn't really end well. Yeah, that didn't I can well. imagine. Yeah. So yes, that's a potential, but you've got to understand what you're doing and know that that's not going to work 100% of the time. You've also got mm. redirected attacks, mm. which we didn't talk about in daycare, which, to be honest, the fact that we didn't mm. means that you guys have been pretty good at stopping this from happening before it gets to that yeah, stage. before it escalates. Redirected correct. attacks can be very, very bad because the dog's not going to deliberately bite a human, but if they're in that, that headspace mm. and they're automatically grabbed, they're going to just turn and snap. Mm. You know, and it's not because the dog's aggressive towards humans. No. Yeah. It's redirected. So, really, if you had to break up a dog fight, you want to be trying the noise break if it gets to that stage. If it's your dog, read your dog. Make sure that it's not at a level where you're going to get hurt. Mm. But walking between them tends to be the best way, unless you're wearing shorts. Mm. But if you're wearing like thick jeans and you're able to walk between the dogs, most of the time, dogs will separate in that instant. You're mm. a much larger animal. You're breaking the fight about apart. Mm. You're being very calm and in control. If you're if you're going crazy, don't do that. That's going to end terribly for you. Yeah. Then you've got things like breaking jaw grips. Now this is where it gets a little bit darker, but sometimes it needs to happen. Mm. If a dog has locked in and has got a good grip on the other dog. Pulling them away is going to create a lot of damage. Mm. These tools, unfortunately, were designed for dog fights, like dog fighting rings, mm -hmm. which is pretty horrible. But effectively, it's a, a, a slim, like a slim, flat stick, which is very strong. Slide it into the dog's mouth and twist it so that it opens the mouth and you can pull them away. If you're able to get the dog away like that, don't pull directly back pull to the side and around and the mm. dogs should be having one person each side and around going in opposite directions wheeling away from each other and then walking away don't hang about don't let the dogs stare at each mm. other just walk away if you need it if you're able to just both leave the area completely and that is actually the best way of doing it you don't want to be getting involved in the fight don't pretend that you're a dog the whole part about being the alpha dog is utter nonsense. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Listen to the last episode if you want to hear me go down that rabbit hole. Um, don't try and be a hero, but make sure that your dog is kept safe. Mm. That's basically the best advice I would be able to give to anybody with regard to a dog being in that situation. And of course, post-fight treatment, if you like. Mm. Remembering that your dog is potentially going to be injured. Make sure you check them properly. If you need to, take them to the vet. Understand that their stress levels have been incredibly increased. Mm. It can take up to 72 hours for this, to, this stress level to come back down to a normal level. We've got to be aware about all that stuff. And indeed, has that created future reactivity? You know, and this is yes. why it's so important to stop it before it happens. Because mm. you can create real problems that way. Now, I know I kind of went off on a rant there, but it's because it's such a big topic mm. and it's something that I feel people need to understand. Okay, so we our next question is from a Sean G in Singapore. He asks, 
what should male dog owners do if they encounter a female in heat? Because he said there's about three to four unneutered females in his neighborhood uh, going to heat either at the same time or one after another. And I plan to not let my dog meet them for a while. Though people tell him to just desensitize his dog to them, he still thinks it's not the best thing to do since he just cannot resist their strong scent and goes crazy, blah, blah, blah. And his dog even escaped through the gap in our gate once just to find his neighbor's uh, female dog in heat. So, okay. First thing is, it's, it's a primal instinct. It's the same as for humans, like... There are just some instincts that you cannot change. You might be able to manage it a little bit better, but you're not going to be able to completely desensitize a dog to something that's deeply rooted into them. Well, I'll just share a, le- a very quick little story here. <laughs> yeah. When Aramis was about a year old, we were at the beach, and I had just showered him, and I'd asked him to sit down and wait till I showered Athos. I turned my back to show her ethos, and when I turned back around, Aramis was sprinting down the beach, straight into the water, swam to an island, which I very quickly, not knowing what was going on, followed him. And it turned out that this gentleman had decided to bring his uh, bitch in heat to the beach, to the dog beach. It was not the best idea on his part. And this dude was totally nonchalant about it all. He was just like, oh, this has been happening all day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder why. Asking a male dog, even a well-trained male dog, to not react to, not react to a bitch in heat is yeah. hard work. It's the same as humans. We can be the most loyal and good people, but if you see somebody you find attractive walking down the street, you're going to look, and that doesn't make you a bad person. Desensitizing an animal to wanting to follow their primal sex drive is quite unrealistic, yeah, yeah. to be honest. So there, there's things that you can do. It's basically you have to let your dog make the choice, right? So either they're able to go towards that dog, of course on a leash, you're not going to let your dog run all the way over to the female dog in heat, react that way and then not get any reward or react slightly and be able to be redirected back to you and get a lot of reward, a lot of love, a lot of attention. So if your dog makes that choice once, they're able to do it again and again and again. And with enough repetition and being consistent, they're going to be able to just, oh, you know what, I guess I don't really need to overreact to this because I'm not going to get any reward out of it. Mm. Secondly, you have things like scent blockers, which is... um, the collars, I guess, they, they would help block a bit of the scent, but once again, it's just very minimal management because the smell is really very overwhelming for, for dogs. It's, it's just something that you can use while you're actually giving your dog the proper training that they require. Well, I just want to add that, you know, having the dog escape from his house, that's a concern for me. <laughs> I, I actually think he has got to to do better with the, you know, the security. The dogs should not be able to run out under what circumstances, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, that, that is definitely a point. <laughs> the one thing that I would also say is that it's all very similar to reactive dogs. So... When you talk about reactivity, we're not just talking about aggression, we're talking about primal drive. The primal drive to protect, the primal drive to hunt, the primal drive for sex. It's Mm. all very similar. So you can still do 
queue stacking or command stacking to redirect away, as Jay was saying. But with this particular one, I know that Sean's asking about what male dogs or the owners of male dogs should be doing. But I think it's also really important to understand what the owners of the female dogs should be doing as well. I mean, in the situation I shared with Aramis, yes, that was kind of funny because Aramis was luckily at the stage where I could stop him from doing anything, so he didn't get that reward, even though I did have my back turned and I just run down the beach after him. Um, but the female dog's owners, they shouldn't be bringing their dogs to dog mm. parks, to dog beaches, to public, public areas yeah. where other dogs could get access to them while their dog is in heat. That's just irresponsible. Um, and walking around your block and things like that, fine, I get that you've got to take your dog a walk and things like that, but be aware and give other dog owners heads up. Mm-hmm. You know, if, that, if you can see another dog walking towards you and you've got a dog that's in heat, it doesn't take very much to say, hey, how are you doing? Just so you know, my girl's in heat at the moment. You might want to keep your distance. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will come up and say, oh, is it okay for my dog to say hello to your dog? Mm-hmm. And then you might end up with some puppies. And that's not really what you <laughs> and want. And it's over very quickly as well. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Let's not go down that road. But <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a lot about responsibility of the dog owners. And it's not just about the dogs that are potentially reactive. Mm. It's the dogs that dogs may be reacting to. Mm. So a lot of the time we talk about aggression, but it goes for other areas as well. If you've got a small dog, like a tiny dog and you're walking them past bigger dogs that might see that dog as a potential prey, mm. you've got to be responsible. How about not taking your chihuahua to a big dog dog run? Mm. You know, things like that, it's very Huskies important. Huskies are notorious for their free drive as well. Yeah. For sure, I mean, they're, they're properly bred. bred for that because yeah. they're bred to protect away mm. from polar bears and to pull the sled mm. and to, you know, that's their primary function. Yeah. Of course we can do that. And then when you've got our... Singapore specials, the street dog, jungle dog sort of thing, their prey drive is going to be pretty high mm. because they have to be high to survive. Yeah. So responsibility comes on both sides of the spectrum here, whether it's the dog that's potentially in danger or potentially the trigger mm. and the dog that's potentially the aggressor or the pursuer, if mm. you like. Yeah. Um, everybody needs to be aware that you are your dog's protector regardless what side you're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's no right or wrong in, in yes. these situations. And, and it, just, it just goes to show, right? Like, um, bitches be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a hell of a note to finish on. <laughs> so, with that, I think we'll call it a day. This has been a slightly longer podcast than we normally do. But... Um, I think it's been a good one and I think it's been very valuable for uh, a lot of the listeners and of course ourselves yes. where can people find you if people want to come and visit the bar if people <laughs> are interested in having their dogs come to doggy retreat where, right. how can they get in contact with you where can they find you now is time for the completely shameless plugs <laughs> okay so doggy retreat is uh, is full by the way so <laughs> so we have a waiting list but if you're really interested to find out what we do um, I think the best thing is to hit our Instagram right now um, at doggy retreat uh, D-O-G-G-I-E and um, our cafe and bar is uh, OMD cafe and bar we're on 12 East Coast Road 
Good. Okay, so for anybody out there listening that's in Singapore, anybody visiting Singapore and you want to come to somewhere that's doggy friendly, come down and have a look at the bar cafe. If you're looking for a good daycare, although there's a waiting list, I don't see any harm in getting in touch and finding out more about that. And if you guys have any questions at all, please do not hesitate to reach out to us and we will get in touch with you if it's required or we'll address them on the next show mm -hmm. if we can. And with that, guys, hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Oh! <laughs>